You are about to listen to a podcast that is intended for, well, not mature audiences, but certainly adult audiences. So parents, please take a moment to shuffle your kids out of the room or stop listening to it in front of them. We'll give you a moment. Okay, with that out of the way, let's get started with the broadcast. Hey there, and welcome to Words Between Friends, a podcast dedicated to quaint and curious words, phrases, and expressions featuring the unique perspective of two rank amateurs who have no actual expertise or professional training in etymology, philology, lexicography, or semantics. I am your host, Malcolm Fleshner, and with me is my fellow word maven, as well as my friend and harshest critic, hence the name of the podcast, Kurt Wolfram. Kurt, are you ready to wax philologistic and get bogged down in semantics with me today? Oh, that was terrible, man. <laughs> terrible intro. Uh, yeah, I well, I, you know, this is what happens when I speak off the cuff. <laughs> All right, man, let's let's roll this. Uh, yeah, so for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, the way it works is both Kurt and I bring phrases, expressions in the English language that have unusual or curious uh, backgrounds, histories, etymologies, and we propose them to the other, see if the other knows what they mean, and uh, then we discuss them at great length, and hilarity ensues, at least that's the hope. And then we, but or any other sort of word-related discussion that comes up, we're happy to have it, and, uh, and happy to have you along with us. And I'm going to go first uh, this week. It's my turn to go first, and so I'm going to do it, and there's nothing you can do to stop me. So are you ready to go though? You're you're raring, are you? I'm sorry, is this customer service? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it might be. We're gonna serve the audience. That's what we're gonna do. I'll tell you that much right now. The funny thing is that beforehand, when we were discussing how we were gonna do this this week, that you had said we we do our other podcasts, and the not for nothing podcast tends to be the one where there's more ribaldry and uh, we get a little risque. And so you said. I'm going to keep this week clean on words between friends. And I, I took that to heart. And so the first expression that I'm going to pose to you and ask you if you know, A, what it means, and B, or what its derivation is, is balls to the wall. Now, you have heard this expression, I assume. Uh, yes, I believe in seventh grade uh, when we would play dodgeball at, at, in PE. The first time you encountered the expression or the concept? Yeah, the, the P instructor would come out and say, uh, okay, if you're done, bring all your balls to the wall. <laughs> and was that just directed at the boys or was it directed at everybody in the class? Oh, it was a co-ed class and that way uh, everybody could kind of uh, get separated there. It, was, it seems like it might, might have been confusing. But okay, so the first question is, what does balls to the wall mean? And I think we, we know, but I'll, I'll, I'll ask you if, uh, if you know what it means. Well, I, I assume it's like uh, we've got the pedal to the metal or I'm, I'm under a lot of pressure. It's go time. It's a pressure pack situation and it's time to it's time to act. Uh, sort of, but no, not really. Uh, balls to the wall means maximum effort. Like I'm going to go all the way. I'm going to give it, you know, as they say in deodorant commercials, 110 percent. Like balls to the wall means you're going to leave everything on the field. You're just going to really uh, push yourself to your absolute limit. And the funny thing is in the dictionary, it says uh, sometimes offensive, but it says with maximum effort or power, it's uh, all out. It's either get there when you get there or go balls to the wall. So that's what they use. Is that what your understanding of it is? Or do you think that there is a subtler meaning that I'm missing out on? You know, I can see no possible way how this doesn't become raunchy as all get out. (laughs) See, that's what you would think. See, it says informal in the the definition, says informal and sometimes offensive. But as you will soon learn, well, I won't give no spoilers. I will let you answer the question of what you think the derivation of balls to the wall, where this expression comes from, because if it means maximum effort, what does that have to do with balls against walls is the question. All right. Well, I'm going to guess. Uh, I have uh, I have no no idea. So, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think and I, I literally cannot think of what this would be. I, I can only think it's like a sports term, maybe like pinball or bowling or, you know, some sort of arcane sport that I'm not familiar with, like cricket or uh, lollygagging. 
you know, that makes sense because obviously sports involve balls. But as I, I point out, it's it's not offensive, actually. The derivation is not. I mean, maybe it is in the sense of people like snickering, but the actual etymology of the, or the origin of the expression is non-sexual. And I will share it with you. And here it is from a Wiktionary. Balls of the Wall was probably first attested to in the 1960s in the context of aviation. Aircraft have up to three controls per power plant, throttle control, mixture control, and then an aircraft with reciprocating power plants and propeller RPM control, uh, an aircraft with a variable pitch propeller. Uh, so those are the, the different varieties of controls. But you knew that already, of course. Um, these controls can be either plungers that you push the ball and into the firewall or maximum power setting, or a lever with a ball top that you push upwards toward the firewall for maximum power setting. Thus, putting balls to the wall gives the aircraft the maximum power output for takeoff. It probably does not originate from railroad jargon, as some have previously claimed. Jerks. And if that is correct, then it is not directly analogous to the adjective balls out, which that's another one we could uh, examine. It's basically a pilot has three different controls that have round ball type of tops. And when you push all three of them forward, you are going, quote unquote, balls to the wall. Well, hmm, is what I say. <laughs> uh, uh, what do you got there? Uh, so you got throttle. Uh, uh, did you say choke was the other one? There, there's uh, three controls per power plant. Throttle control, yeah. uh, mixture control, okay, and, sure got that. and propeller RPM control in aircraft with okay. a variable pitch, variable pitch uh, yeah, propeller. Yeah, we don't need that part. So, (laughs) well, let's just stick with, okay, throttle control, which we Mm -hmm. know like on a car that would be pressing the the, the gas pedal, right? Yeah. Uh Um, Mixture control when in in an aircraft uh, is important. Uh, You know, we we would look at that as the choke uh, we're we're familiar with, right? That's not playing a mixtape in the cassette player. And then (laughs) propeller control is, uh, is the prop. And right. And most, most aircraft probably don't have those nowadays. So it would typically just be the two. Most pilots would just be pushing their two balls to the wall. And uh, so. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. You're just so, determined. So, you're determined to keep this clean. And I appreciate that. Yeah. Yes. You never succeed in appointing me. <laughs> well, <laughs> disappointing versus appointing you. Never, never fail to appoint me. Yeah. So never succeed in appointing me. Yeah. That's confusing. It's not a double negative, but it's nevertheless confusing. But there's nothing sexual about this. Everything that is perceived as being risque about this phrase yeah, yeah. is in your yeah. head. So yeah. you need to get your yeah. mind out of the gutter, clearly. Yeah. For those of you who don't know about uh, Malcolm and uh, my friendship with him, I think this exactly demonstrates it. I remember the one time I said to him, I was in my 30s, I was like, oh, I really got to quit smoking. And he's like, you know, you're right. And he showed up the next day with a carton of uh, camels there. And he said, he started, he just strewed them all around the house in there and said, nothing's easier than this then. You yeah, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you show how, this is of course an yeah. apocryphal story, but the, yeah. the, if you can do this, you know, you yeah. have the willpower to, to not smoke with all these cigarettes just all around you. Yeah, uh, yeah. Then, and then sure. uh, and then he's like, go, let's go out to a bar and drink. And then after that, he arranged for some people to like rob my house of all my possessions. Sure. Let's get some coffee. And then uh, I, I arranged for you to have sex, all sorts of smoking related <laughs> activities just to help you break the habit. And uh, uh, I mean, I, OK, I, I never I never said it at the time, but you're welcome. Do you smoke now? <laughs> Do you smoke? <laughs> I super appreciate it, folks. I super appreciate it. You're welcome. All right, so that's balls to the wall. But I think that it's kind of funny that it, and, and real, okay, realistically, the pilots who coined this phrase, they knew what they were doing. They were not completely oblivious to the sexual double entendre there. But nevertheless, if you take them at face value, it is non-sexual. So I am adhering to the strictures that you uh, at least said that you were going to follow for this. And I never, by the way, I never agreed to, but nevertheless, that's balls to the wall. And I think it's a, a good expression and a, a good clean one that you can use with your children. So go ahead. Not you personally, but the, uh, the audience. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's my first one is balls to the wall. You, you also have expressions that you have brought to the table as it were to, uh, to share with, uh, with the audience and with me that, I, but I don't know uh, ahead of time, we did not prepare this. I mean, prepare, come on, what are we doing? We're talking about. So, so what is the first expression that, that you uh, have, uh, have chosen? Do you recall what it is? 
Well, Malcolm, I'm glad you asked. Oh, good. Um, I've brought uh, mad as a hatter is my expression here. Mad as a hatter. Do people still say mad as a hatter that often, or is this becoming sort of archaic a little bit? Well, shiver me timbers. Shiver me timbers. So mad as a hatter, this is something that is confusing for my children sometimes when they were growing up, is we read a lot of those Mr. Man books. I don't know if you know the Mr. Man series, but they're English. And in England, the term mad means crazy, whereas here it means angry. But the this expression, mad as a hatter, uses mad in the meaning of crazy. Uh, so when you say mad as a hatter, you don't you don't mean angry as a hatter. You mean crazy as a hatter, meaning crazy like somebody who makes hats. So that's the meaning. If you didn't ask, but I told you that's what I think the meaning is. Is that, that correct? Well, I want to just uh, pick up on your point that hatters are generally angry people. And that's sure. true. I, you know. <laughs> well, that's the, the American version of it is angry as a haberdasher. I know uh, my uh, friends and I at uh, sleepaway camp, uh, you know, we used to make bracelets and I know how angry we got. <laughs> In camp, those arts and crafts were, there was make work unless, well, some camps, some of those summer camps, you're actually like sewing together soccer balls and you're, you're, <laughs> you're, you're making money for the campers. I guess that's what, that was an episode of the Simpsons, but okay. So am I correct about Matt as a hatter? Is that right? Yes. The definition here is to be uh, you know, loopy, crazy, nuts. Right. And I think I also know where this comes from. I believe it had to do with, I don't remember the details, but some of the material, maybe it was mercury or some of the materials that hatters in traditional like 19th century England used in the manufacture of hats and their consumption of it or their inhaling of it over time, you know, drove them mad as it were. Uh, I guess the, the, the famous mad hatter we all know is from Alice in Wonderland. But he was playing on an existing trope of people who make hats go kind of nuts. And I think, is that what it was? A mercury? Am I right about that? I, I have a vague memory of this, but I'm not sure if I have it correct. Yeah. So the, the camp my parents took me to, it had uh, guards at the towers and searchlights. Mm, sure. And the razor wire and stuff. <laughs> and uh, they just said it was just a, you know, a security camp, you know, high security there. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I remember making the soccer balls and things. That was a good experience. I remember that. Yeah, Camp Stalag was always always a, a good time. I mean, you know, stay on the grounds though. <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't want to be torn limb from limb by wild German shepherds. You don't want to wander out of here. So, uh, hey, I, can you I, imagine I, that, like a, a a summer camp that had like guard towers with searchlights? You know, like I think we're gonna go on a penny raid tonight. Oh, it's gonna be fun. Don't get shot by the guard. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, just for like the full experience. You know. Yeah. I mean. Uh, yeah, we're not going to go there any any further, folks. For those of you who are writing the angry emails, uh, put your hats away. Don't be angry. Yes. Uh, and as much as I hate to say this, and you know I do, but you're right. You're very wise. So it was Mercury, and is it? It's 19th century England. Is that right? Because that, that was the parts I wasn't so sure about. Yeah. Right. So we're going to give you full credit. Oh, good. And I'll read you the the blurb here. You didn't know this one, they say, but you clearly did. So kudos to you. Uh, it didn't originate from Alice in Wonderland, but you were right. Alice in Wonderland was off of this. It was in the 17th century France that poisoning regularly occurred among hat makers who used mercury as part of the ingredients for uh, their hat felt. I, look, I know, I know I won't wear a hat unless it has mercury in it. I mean, I'm a stickler. Yeah, yeah. So the mad hatter disease was marked by shyness, irritability, and tremors that would make the person appear mad. And I believe nowadays we just call it anxiety disorder. <laughs> yeah, we just call it everybody. And that is that those are the, the symptoms of mercury poisoning also, presumably. Well, yeah. And apparently this is what uh, Van Gogh, is that right? Van Gogh had with the lip licking the tip of it. No, he had lead poisoning. That's right. <laughs> he had lead poisoning from licking the tip of his like paintbrush from the lead in the paint. Yeah, that's that's the working theory. Yeah. Look on The Simpsons, if I may quote him again, that's what Troy McClure said. Lead, delicious, but deadly. <laughs> or lead paint, I guess is what he said. Delicious, but deadly. It's true. Yeah. It's true. But I guess I was confusing the 19th century England because that's when Alice in Wonderland takes place. But I'll, OK, so, yeah. And look, if you're like me and you want mercury in your hats, it's worth it to me that we have to sacrifice the sanity of a few hatters. Anything for fashion. It's the price of beauty, as my wife says. And when I look at myself in the mirror and I see how I look with with my Kangol or my my fedora, I'm like, you know what? If a few 
hatters had to sacrifice their sanity for this. That's a price I'm willing to pay. Well, or have them pay. Yeah, I went to a performance art thing here at the local museum and there was a guy in there and he's uh says like installation, I guess they call it. And he's steadily eating more and more lead. Uh, and you know, the progression is it's pretty severe by now. And he's been doing a different painting each day, uh, hoping that, you know, before the end that they'll sell for a lot of money, unlike uh, unlike Vincent van Gogh there. <laughs> Let's just make it clear to the audience that you made that up, that that is not true. Although uh, it, you, I don't think you can prove or disprove <laughs> that. But, you know, the crazy thing is that's not for, for performance artists. I wouldn't put that past people that somebody would do that. Performance well, art is about pushing boundaries and yeah, yeah. sometimes about sacrificing your own personal health for your art. People do that. I look, I, I sacrifice other people's personal health for my fashion choices. So why wouldn't they? Well, I've been doing it for years for my own pleasure. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> your company comes over you just put out a plate of lead paint chips you know help yourself everybody <laughs> you know once again it doesn't take much to stray into <laughs> well that's sort of the point all right well let's bring it back unless you have more to say about uh, matt as a hatter but uh, no, I, I, I do have another performance uh piece idea oh, but good. i want to save it because i want to do it okay yeah you don't want to give give it away on this podcast with the, the millions of listeners and then it won't seem fresh Okay, so th this one is not really a, an expression. It's more of a question I, I want to pose to you. And actually sort of has to do with the, the word ball uh, was in my first one. It is also in this one. And it's just something that occurred to me yesterday or the day before. And I heard the song Glory Days by Bruce Springsteen. I assume you're familiar with this song, right? Bruce who? And <laughs> the, this was the fifth, like, number one hit off of Born in the USA, which is a huge album in, back in 1984 and 1985. So, and Glory Days is, uh, if you're unfamiliar with the song, it's Bruce talking about people he knew in high school that he meets up with. They're in their 30s or 40s and reflecting on all the, the, the successes they had and all the promise they had, which sort of petered out and their lives have not turned out the way they had hoped. And one of the individuals he sings about in the song was a baseball player. And I've forgotten what the lyrics are exactly, but he, he talks about what a great pitcher this guy was. And one of the lines is, he could throw that old speedball by you, make you look like a fool. And the larger question I want to ask is, when there are misusages of words, mispronunciation some, but misusages more, how much does it bother you? Because that song, I have no objection to that song overall. I don't, I don't think it's one of his best, but that particular aspect of it that he calls a fastball, a speedball, which is not a thing. No one, it's not called a speedball. It's called a fastball. And that he would write this song and all the various filters it goes through before it, they press it and ship it out. Nobody said to him, Hey, Bruce, um, I know you don't obviously know anything about baseball because you're a musician, but it's called a fastball, not a speedball. So you want to just make that correction. And so I guess my first question to you is, is this something that you have noticed in the, hearing this song and have observed me like, why does he say speedball when it's a fastball and thought, well, maybe I'm wrong and maybe it is called a speedball sometimes or something like that? Or is this the first time anybody's ever mentioned this to you and you've had any thought about the matter? Well, to go in order, uh, if I were concerned with uh, song lyrics, I would be holding symposiums uh, at Drexel University about wrapped up like douche in the middle of the night. <laughs> That's another Bruce Springsteen song, Blinded by the Light, that you're referring to. That's more about artists who are not entirely clear in what they're saying in their yeah. lyrics. And that's, you know, there Bruce is definitely guilty of that. You know, Kurt Cobain, Elton John, Michael Jackson. There's a lot of them where you're like, what the hell does he say? That in, you know, that Benny and the Jets song, uh, 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 she's got electric boobs. Um, um, I'm all her suit. What is she saying? So that is an issue. Yes. But what about this song specifically? Well, you know, I only really care about the connections that's made between uh, uh, industrial air conditioning units and the, uh, you know, <laughs> You know, I, you know, honestly, yeah, you, you've hit on one of the literally trillions of things on this planet that I have not devoted any time or attention to. So the field's wide open for you. So you don't, you don't care that when he sings, uh, he could throw that old speedball by you. You never thought of it. You never gave it a moment's thought. Yeah. Up until now where I feel now I have given it 
uh, an infinite minus one more <laughs> amount of thought than I had ever planned to or wanted to. Okay, see, so that I think that's just some people like me are bugged by these things and other people just aren't. And the people who are bugged by them look at the people who are not and say, how can this not bother you? And the people who are not bothered by it look at the people who are bothered by it and say, what is wrong with you? Who gives a shit? <laughs> yeah, I mean, my first thought when you say that is, how is it that you're allowed to move freely in society? And you're right. Look, this is, a, it, but it's a curse. It's a little bit of a curse, I think. Anytime you see, like, if I see something, a sign that has a misplaced apostrophe, it's like, Ugh! and I know it doesn't matter, but it, it still sort of bugs me a little bit. When, when I would read stories to my kids and there would be books that were supposed to rhyme and they had the meter would be off a little bit. And I had, you have to read these books like over and over and over again. <laughs> like, oh, read, read Chicka Chicka Boom Boom. I'm like, oh, come on. Not that one with that terrible rhyme. Oh, the, the meter is off. I'm going to be lying awake at night going, oh, no, no. But some people, these things bother. And in fairness to me, there are things that bother you that do not bother me. For example, everything I say and do. Yeah, I was going to say this conversation for starters. You know. <laughs> so, all right. Well, then then that's that's it then. But well, I, I will point out that I looked it up and there are people who have defended Bruce Springsteen by saying, oh, well, it turns out that back in the 1930s, occasionally they would call it a speedball. And I don't think that's really much of a defense. And then somebody else wrote a blog post about it who said, oh, I've changed the lyrics because you know, he says he could throw that old speedball by you, make you look like a fool. But a fastball, when you blow a fastball by somebody, it doesn't really make him look like a fool. It's more a curveball. So he changed the lyrics to he could throw that old curveball by you and something, something, like something. And I thought, yeah, good luck. Good luck. That's even worse than the original. You're not going to get that to, to Bruce Springsteen. He's going to, yeah. The Andy says, if you know Bruce Springsteen, send this along to him. Maybe he'll change the lyrics. That, now that's insane. <laughs> <laughs> that Bruce Springsteen is going to be like, yeah, that this rando on the internet had a better version of my song. And of course, then the guy would get all the royalties. So, okay. So that's my, that's my little riff on speedball and glory days. And I apologize to all those of you who are not bothered by this, but for those of you who are, we are kindred spirits and we, we have empathy for one another. You're not alone, but it turns out that the ones that Bruce Springsteen is really making look like a fool is all of us. It, it was it, it, it was the friends we made along the way. What is that expression? Anyway, go ahead. What's your next one? You had Matt as a Hatter, and now you got another one. What is next? Well, first of all, to, to your point that uh, you guys aren't alone, uh, my comment is you should be. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I'd, li I'd like to create an island where all of you go. And here's, here's, here's going to be on that island that I imagine. The woman that I met one time, we were at a, like in a 45 minute meeting at the school or something, and we we're going over bylaws. And it was before anybody had eaten lunch. Every, you know, it had already been 45 minutes to discuss a 15 minute thing. And there's a pause where the leader of the meeting goes, well, Does anybody else have something to say? And it's that little pause where you go, Oh, thank God we're all out of here. And then that voice comes, I'd like to say something. <laughs> and I notice on paragraph three here on page 42 uh, that there's a semicolon. I really think that maybe should be a colon. And then people get upset when other people just launch at other people. And well, you can see how it would ensue from there. But she did drop the assault charges against you eventually, right? Well, it was more of a, a you know community service type of thing. And I believe I had to uh, repave her patio. The point being, I would put all those people on an island with engineers. I used to do uh, home improvement work a lot. And uh, you put the contract down and there's two professions. I'll let you guess what they are uh, that would always... Uh, uh, be the most difficult to work with. And, and as a matter of fact, I had a pretty good track record of saying, hey, I wonder if you're a blah, 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 based on the before we signed the contract. And one was obviously. Well, you said, engineer. said engineers already. That's yeah. More. So one is obviously engineers. And do you, could you guess what the other one is? You know, I'm going to say professional oboists. Yeah. Yeah. That's what <laughs> that's what everybody thinks. Right. You know, because you get the oboe out. Uh, no, it's attorneys. Attorneys, attorneys, lawyers, lawyers. Read, yep, that always read the fine print. And you're like, come on, really? And then, but the engineers, I actually, this is a, a real life story here. I actually had an engineer one time, and this is a true story. I say, so what's the, what's the length of the nails that you'll be using to affix the siding to my house, right? This is like his fifth question in, you know, how do you know that you're going to hit the studs? How do you know it's the right side up? You know, how do you know which side of the hammer is up? 
you know, the guy's growing though. <laughs> Which side of the hammer are you going to be using to hammer the nails in? Yeah. Thing is, it's like, you know, this is something I've been, that you've been doing. You're selling the service to be like, we have a train crew or license where here's all of our references. And he's just drilling down to like, where are you going to put your right foot when you place the first <laughs> hammer into the first? And you're just, you sort of lose patience a little bit. Cause you're just like, and you can see his wife just kind of rolling her eyes going, Jesus, this guy, like <laughs> just, you know, God knows what's going through her mind, but it's not good. Right. And you don't know how long she's been sitting through this for every effing interaction they've ever yeah. gone through. Right? One can, only, one can and, only imagine their uh, their bedtime. Oh, their, their, yeah, the joy, rituals. the joy she must experience on a day-to-day level. <laughs> and I swear to God, the guy says to me, what's the diameter of the shank of the nail? <laughs> I don't even know which part of the nail is the shank. Yeah, it's like the shaft of the nail there, yeah? The sh- oh, literally okay. said, what is the diameter of the shank of the nail? And again... That's another assault charge that I'm, you know, I'm working on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, you were able to group it together and do his patio and hers. But what we need to do really is put this guy and that woman in a meeting together and just yeah. leave them. You you want to sequester me on an island with all, with all these people. I didn't say I do anything about it just because it bothers me. It's not like I'm protesting in front of Bruce Springsteen's house or sending him angry emails. It's just something that, that bugs me. It only it only affects me. I'm not raising my hand at the end of the PTA meeting just where I'm like, excuse me, hang on. I just want to get a sense of the meeting. When Bruce Springsteen says speedball instead of fastball, how are you guys with that? Yeah, you just you show up outside the convention center in Detroit protesting it. People are like, what, what, what are you doing here, man? Hey, listen, yeah, that's, man. That's right. You know, Someone's got to take a stand. They're those like, are long shows. Is, that's a long protest because yeah, he plays yeah. like four they're hours. Like, uh, they're like, this is a Cindy Lauper concert. <laughs> yes. you, know, is, is, you know, what are you doing, man? It's the principle and, uh, of the thing. So I, I think that more to your point, I know what you're talking about, right? And I, I know the children's books and stuff like this. And my example is uh, like when your kids are kids, they say biscotti and they say stuff like that. And yeah. there's some people that jump to correct them. I'm the opposite. I, I love these kind of little things. And, you know, there's a bell curve on everything. But I like it because it's the imperfection of the, of the human race. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty much on the extreme because I got in a lot of trouble with various adults that were around my children uh, because I was trying to teach them a whole new language. And I, sure. I'd point to the table and be like, knife, knife. That reminds me, my, my first child, we uh, we told her that uh, that cottage cheese was called ice cream. You're like, want some ice cream? You know, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't until uh, she was about, uh, I think, uh, 18 when she got angry with us when she was like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but these things, but to me, these things are I, I generally I kind of chuckle now. Now, if you want to talk an area that sends me from my state of Zen and calm happiness, where I wish the entire world eternal bliss to just a murderous guy on a sure. rampage. Yes, I do. Uh, yeah, it's traffic stuff. I literally had this happen. Yeah. I used to I meditate. And uh, I was in this state of meditation that you can reach occasionally where you just feel completely blissed out. And I get in my car like about 20 minutes later and I get about 150 feet from my house is a four-way stop sign. And so this is 50 feet from my house. I get to the first stop sign and the guy gets the stop sign and I'm like, go ahead because I'm in such a great mood. And he's like, no, you go. And while we're doing that, a third person comes up and then the third person wants to go in between our indecisiveness and I lose it. Sure. You know, I mean, it, it, it keeps progressing because then that guy won't go. And then the third person's go. When I decide I'm going to go, I almost hit the third person. Now there's somebody behind me beeping. Now, again, I'm... this is the part where I want to say, but this is where the adult things starts. Uh, so I'm going to stop now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm imagining that you actually you're calling in for the podcast from your car because you're still sitting at the four way stop sign. And none of the cars yeah. have gone. That was you. You've been there for four days now. And nobody. No, you go. No, you go. No, you go. God yeah, damn yeah. it. It's, but, it's a, is, you know, is, but it's interesting how something that's a, a, a courtesy that you're extending yeah. to someone rapidly yeah. devolves into a battle of wills. Yeah, you've hit upon it right there. And I've often theorized to, to friends and neighbors about this kind of thing of like, even Gandhi had a button that you couldn't press repeatedly. <laughs> even I'd like to think this, even Mother Teresa. You sure. Know, if, you keep, if you keep riding her about her car's extended warranty, you know, you're going to get the claws. <laughs> right. She's like, you didn't just say mischievous, did you? Um, so <laughs> with Mother Teresa, it's probably jokes about uh, kicking the habit, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I never get tired of those. OK, so let's let's move on. To, but we can if you want more of this type of material, you definitely want to listen to our the Not For Nothing podcast, The Kurt and I do. And we'll we should probably dedicate an entire 
seasons worth of episodes just to traffic and dealing with the roads and other drivers. But for now, we need to move on because I think that you have another expression for us to examine. All right. I thought it was your turn, but okay. No, um, I did. I just did Bruce Springsteen, so to speak. Uh, okay. Don't take that out of context. <laughs> you know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. I went balls usually, to the wall with Bruce Springsteen. Usually from women, but you know, hey. <laughs> he can throw that old speedball by you. Make you look like a fool. All right. So my next phrase is bury the hatchet. Bury the hatchet. Okay. So this one, obviously the meaning of bury the hatchet is uh, to make peace. You're, you're warring, you're angry with each other for whatever reason, you're going to bury the hatchet. You're going to put that behind you. And metaphorically, you bury the hatchet, you know, or maybe you do it literally as a metaphor for ending of hostilities. And my assumption is that it comes from the Atlanta Braves and their tomahawk chop that they are not going to do it anymore because they they feel suitably uh, chastened when they found out that it was perceived as racist because they, they I'm sure they would never ever ever want to do anything that was perceived as racist or harmful to uh, Native American population. So the origin of the expression is with the Atlanta Braves, and it's why nobody does the tomahawk chop anymore. Am I correct? Uh, you were very, very close. It was actually Colonel Mustard uh, <laughs> in the library with the uh, tomahawk. With the, with, with the hatchet that he buried in <laughs> in Professor Plum's head for being such in an egghead. Scar- yeah, in, deep into Miss Scarlet. Uh, so your meaning is absolutely right to stop a conflict to make peace. It dates back to the early times in North America. The Puritans were in conflict with the Native Americans. And when negotiating peace, the Native Americans would bury all their hatchets, knives, clubs, and tomahawks. And then the Puritans would go and dig them up and attack. Well, uh, we can see how it all ended up. So. Yeah, it worked, and it worked out pretty well for them. Yeah, that was a smart move. Now, for our Native American friends listening, Malcolm's email address oh, is... <laughs> this is the, the irony is that the Native populations on the continent were nearly entirely wiped out. But what we did keep was the expression about their, I guess, ill-advised decision to end hostilities and think that the white people were going to honor that. Right, right. So for those of of you who don't know, and you guys can go ahead and try to verify this yourself on the uh, interwebs (laughs) and... And the way you're you such a that. jerk. You're such a you're such a you say that I'm a jerk, but you are the jerk. For those listening, just yesterday I explained to Kurt about how I hate <laughs> interwebs and people think it's clever. Like when people say amaze balls, it's not clever. Don't say it. Stop it. You didn't just say it either. You really emphasized it nicely. Oh, Jesus. You probably taught Bruce Springsteen. You were like, oh, don't no, not fastball. Call it a speedball. Well, anyway, supposedly. That's uh, that's, that's the way it's got to go there. So, yeah, you have the Native Americans. And what people maybe don't know, our listener doesn't know, is that as far as we can tell the historical records up until recently, uh, and I mean really recently, the European settlers and then the American government, more pointedly, the American government uh, from the very beginning made a huge amount of treaties with Native American tribes, different tribes, and broke anyone, anyone. Every <laughs> single one of them. Sure. Uh, this is the first I'm hearing of it. Yeah. Yeah. Every single one of them. So to be a conquered people, and admittedly, the Native American tribes were not a one cohesive people. It was a number of tribes. But to be in that category and then to be conquered and then to have, uh, like we do, play parks with TPs and stuff like that. Yeah. It's the equivalent of us getting wiped out by, like, say, an alien race, and we're basically all gone. There's, like, maybe X amount of us in a little nature preserve, and uh, we don't really hang out with the other people, but we're invited to. And we go over there, and they've got, like, little mock houses that the kids play in because they all live in, like, sky cloud things or whatever. Sure, yeah. They've got little antique guns you can play because they they wiped us all out with lasers from space or whatever. Well, I find it. That nobody comments on this, for example, that we we call our military attack helicopters. We name them after Native American tribes, our Apache attack helicopter. I mean, how insulting is that? Yeah, yeah. The the history of the world is one, as you very well know, as being you're pretty old. You're in your 70s, I think. Sure. And uh, and you were a real sensitive kid. You were like one of those weakling kids. And so I think you did a lot of history work and stuff, a lot of scholarly work. Not sure anyway. where this is coming from or going, yeah. but okay. 
Yeah, but the point is, this is the history of the human race, is conquest and back and forth. And there are sides that prevail and sides that don't. And that's the more pragmatic thing. Now, having us being a settled thing, we have our we have our feelings about this and all this kind of stuff. And that's all fine and well as well. But I think that had the tribes been a little more cohesive and had the kind of weaponry that we had and been equal, it was a more narrow run thing than people think. You know, and it, had they gotten together a little bit and turned us back in the beginning because the first settlers didn't survive the first winter. And then the more settlers came, had they made it, those initial tribes made a different decision where history could be very different right now. Well, there's, there's some validity to what you're saying, but we should also acknowledge that something like 90% of the native populations were devastated by smallpox and other diseases where your entire village, it might be wiped out entirely, or you might be the only survivor, and then you're just wandering, looking off to find other people. So the devastation of smallpox and other diseases that lay waste to the native populations on the eastern seaboard were sort of like the modern day equivalent of just carpet bombing before you send in the troops. And it was genuinely devastating. And it was commented upon at the time where new settlers would happen upon these settlements that were just empty, devoid of people like they'd been set up for them and prepared for them to just move in. And everything was prepared for them to take over because so many of the native population had been devastatingly wiped out. And horrifically, if you read the reports of what it's like when smallpox comes to town and wipes everybody out, it's pretty horrible. So we don't need to get into it in detail, but it was over before it began almost in many ways for the native people on the Eastern seaboard anyway. And then the inexorable March West of uh, settlers. Yeah, there were there were definitely inflection points where it could have been touch and go, but eventually that the white people were going to use every means at their disposal to devastate the native populations and take all of their lands. It was going to be tough for them to stop. But credit to them for trying, for Christ's sake, that's for sure. They certainly tried. And this is a little bit off topic. <laughs> well, I guess I mean, you know, I mean, but it clearly, you know, clearly burying the hatchet was the mistake, unless you were burying it in that settler's head. Yeah. I think that's the point. All right, what do you got next? <laughs> My last one, because we're, we're running out of time here. It's from the, the movie Tombstone. Are you familiar with the movie Tombstone? Sure. So it's a Western. It's a relatively modern Western. It has Val Kilmer, Kurt Russell. Uh, I've forgotten who else. But uh, in the movie, Val Kilmer plays Doc Holliday. And there's a famous line from this movie that is often quoted. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Uh, do you feel lucky, punk? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's I found a golden ticket. No, it's it's not. That's not it. It's I'll be your huckleberry. Have you ever heard this? I'll be your huckleberry. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You he's remember that? Consum- he's got the consumption. Right. So, yes. Yeah, so Doc Holliday is is he's sickly. But there's a scene where Val Kilmer as Doc Holliday, he's sitting in a saloon and someone who is an antagonist. I forgot the actor's name. But he plays a, a character named John Ringo, I think. And there's a, a confrontation between Wyatt Earp, played by Kurt Russell, and Doc Holliday, played by Val Kilmer. And they're at a table and then John Ringo and his crew. And there's there's sort of this uh, tense moment. And Val Kilmer as Holiday is spinning his cup that he's drinking wine from. And he says, I'll be your huckleberry, meaning I will take you on. And everyone sort of got their hands on their guns and it's a tense moment. And people have repeated this line. I'll be your huckleberry, meaning I will be your antagonist. I'll take you on. So am I right that you have heard this? Yeah. Yeah. I just said it to my kid's math teacher the other day. (laughs) Sure. And I, I don't know what other people think. It's a great line. It's a great moment. It's a great scene. It's a great movie. But I don't know what it means. I'm like, why is he saying I'll be your huckleberry? I've never heard I've never heard the expression before. And I don't know what it means to be a huckleberry. Huckleberry Finn, the book, was not written until a number of years after the gunfight at the OK Corral. So it, it's not a reference to Huckleberry Finn. I don't know what it would mean as the actual huckleberry, which is kind of like a blueberry. You wouldn't say, I'll be your blueberry. <laughs> I'll, be your, I'll be your strawberry. I'll be your huckleberry. I'll be your grape. I'll be your yeah, mandarin sure. orange. So it sure. doesn't make any sense. And so I looked it up and it turns out he didn't say, I'll be your huckleberry. What he said is, I'll be your huckle bearer. 
But when he said it quickly, it sounds like I'll be your huckleberry. And a huckle was the knob on the side of a casket, which you would carry the casket by. So your pallbearers would carry your casket when you were dead, uh, presumably. Yeah, yeah hopefully. <laughs> ideally. I mean, well, not ideally, but anyway. So when he says, I'll be your huckleberry, he's saying, yeah, yeah. I will carry your casket. If It's the 19th century tombstone equivalent of, it's your funeral, which makes a lot more sense than I'll be your huckleberry. Although I do yeah. love I'll be your huckleberry. So I'm sort of torn. This is the, the opposite of throw the speedball by you. This is wrong, but I like it. And it sounds great to say to somebody, I'll be your huckleberry. But I, well, I wouldn't say I'll be your huckleberry to somebody because obviously they're not going to know a huckle. What the hell's a huckle? <laughs> <laughs> I, but, but I thought it was super interesting that this is this line that has become a part of the culture and so well known is completely wrong. Nobody knows that. And it's a lot more menacing than just like, all right, let's, you know, it, 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 the way people use it, it's like, all right, let's go, let's do it. Let's do this thing. When it's actually, I'm going to murder you. Yeah, I know. Are you saying that to me now? <laughs> well, I might. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. So here's my thing on this. As you know, I'm very much into air conditioning, repair, and parts. Sure. I know a, you love to talk about it. You can't Condensers, you can't talk about them enough. Yeah, there's a condenser coil called a 386V. But when you <laughs> say it real fast, it sounds like spaghetti. What? See, I like the idea of you watching the first Star Wars movie, and you're like, oh, all this stuff with the Empire and the Rebels. Tell me more about those condensers on Tatooine. Yeah. So here's the thing. It's funny, I guess, or not that I just I've just seen that movie within the last couple of months. I mean literally. And it's a fantastic movie. It's just yeah. really well done from from really good acting, very tight storytelling. It's not extraneous. The violence is not gratuitous and it seems really genuine. You know, it seems exactly how actual gunfight fights would be. Like they shoot the horses and they shoot each other in the leg and it's awful and you don't see that. And you know when we grew up with westerns they were almost sanitized. Like, you know, they always shoot from like 600 yards. And the guy would, you know, you shoot them off the horse. The horses were always fine. Yeah, it's the horses were fine. The, the guy, you you just look up, shoot the guy on the yeah. roof and he would fall. Yeah, yeah and the... I don't want to, I don't want to, uh, 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 you know, expose my sociopathic uh, leanings uh, to the general public. And I will tell you, even as a kid, though, I was like, why don't you just shoot the horse, man? That's a bigger <laughs> target. You know, and uh, I'm sure that's uh, things for a bigger, and uh, people from PETA, you can call Malcolm. At uh, 507-396-4178. You know, the the funny thing is that I'm I'm currently listening to a series of podcasts about Irish history, about medieval Irish history, and what it would take to bring horses across the Irish Sea from England or Scotland. And it was, you know, on these little boats, it was quite an ordeal and it was not easy, but a war horse was extraordinarily valuable and you would much rather save the war horse, then if you had the choice as a general or what have you, or as a leader of an army, you'd want to preserve the horses much more than the soldiers. The soldiers were fodder. You could easily replaceable, but the horses required like years of training to get used to them, used to battle. And you wouldn't want to lose any of those. So that's all the more reason to shoot the horses. Now, again, not modern day. I'm not recommending shooting. Or- they shoot horses, don't they? Um, but I'm not recommending that, PETA. So spare me your calls, your emails, your voicemails, your telexes, your faxes. Yes, but if you want to uh, protest outside his house, his address is. <laughs> Thank God I edit these. So uh, anyway, nowadays it's the equivalent as like the jet or the tank. You know, you send a guy out and they're like, we had a problem with the jet. They got the pilot's fine. You're like, yeah. You know, like he, he managed to eject, you know, like, well, the, the $48 million jet is the right. Thing yeah. Was, it didn't, but, didn't cost but, us a billion dollars to manufacture you asshole. I, here's what I like about that whole story. Having just seen the movie uh, is that I absolutely thought he was saying, I'll be your Huckleberry. And there's something super sinister about a guy who looks like he's eager to fight you. And you know, he's really super good at it. And uh, he's, <laughs> You know, and and then he says something innocuous like that, like, yeah, I'll be your Pokemon. And you're like, well, that's even that's even effing creepier. Yeah, I'll be your Powerpuff girl. You're well, like, that's, but uh, isn't that what the expression I'll fix his little red wagon? Like, yeah, yeah. It doesn't it doesn't it's, sound it, it's it's much yeah, more it's menacing than creepy, it should. You know, like it's it's one thing a guy saddles up to me in a bar and he's like six, four and he's just muscly. And he's like, uh, yeah, I'll be your plushie. 
Well, that's that's different. I'll be your koosh ball. I'll yeah, be your beanie baby. That's, that's a little different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be your furry. That's oh, a now, oh, wait a minute. Hang on. <laughs> that's a different uh, motif there. But no, it's sinister because when I thought he was saying, I'll be your huckleberry, that's that's even more sinister because you're like, not only is this guy good, but he's a little crazy. Yeah, you know, he's, he's, he's literally making no sense, but he seems very confident <laughs> about it. All right. So you, I, I think we have time for one more if you want to do your last one before we, we wrap up. All right. Sounds good. So uh, the last one I have is a is it's one in pretty common parlance. Yeah. And uh, I was surprised as anybody uh, to, to know where it actually came from. I, and if you can guess this one, I'm going to believe that you are uh, cheating. <laughs> OK. Wait, am I supposed to guess it before you say it? That would be cheating. Yeah, yeah. The the expression is uh, if you want to butter someone up, you're buttering me up. Is the, I'm is butter, you're buttering someone up. All right. Yeah, well, but, in terms you know, of definitions, I I don't I think I know the definition, which right. means to, to lavish someone with praise, to yeah. uh, excessively fawn over them, and to be to go over the top in your effusions about someone's positive features and attributes. Right. right. So that's that's right. that's so, what yeah. it means. So there, there you have it. And then where do you think uh, it emanates from? Well, the terrible thing is, I, I'm sure I've looked this up at some point in time in the, in the past, but I don't remember. So I could have impressed you, but you pledged you were going to be non-sexual, right? Yeah. So we're going to skip the really <laughs> super obvious one there for everybody at home. I'm going to uh, butter. I'm going to butter you up, and then we're going balls to the wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we've. I think we've closed the loop there. Uh, so to butter someone up, you mean to, you know, literally to apply butter to somebody, why would you apply butter to a person? I can't think of any good non-sexual reason why you would do that. So I am at a loss as to why butter someone up would mean to appraise them effusively. Yeah, right. And and here's the thing. I know that we have a, a listener call in uh, participation thing, uh, that everybody can vote on and see how many get it. That, it's like these quizzes they do on NPR or Nipper, as I like to call it. They're really fiendishly hard, I think, but they get correct answers and then they pick from those. You're so talking about like case, like on uh, on uh, on the Puzzler on Car Talk, or are you talking about uh, Will Short? I think it's like Will Short. Yeah, uh, he does yeah, those things. Yeah. And I find them, you know, probably more difficult than the average. I take a nine-letter word, remove three letters, replace them <laughs> with three other letters, then yeah. change it into the yeah. French version of that word, then back to English, then scramble the letters, and then eat them and crap them out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, spin around three times <laughs> and see if you can pin the tail. So here we go. Uh, in ancient India... It was customary to throw or spread uh, little ghee butterballs onto the sculptures of different divinities during worship. Ah. These buttery gifts were to secure favors from them, like good and abundant crops, health, peace, and good fortune. And this practice began uh, as as far back as 1600 BC. Wow! So this is this is a much older expression than balls to the wall for sure, or mad as a hatter, or bury the hatchet. Yeah, the devout would throw butterballs at the statues of their gods to seek favor and forgiveness. So what I would be interested to know is, does the expression date back many, many centuries in the whatever the language of the adherents to this faith are? Or is this an expression that arose from Westerners, probably the English, going to India, seeing this happen and just applying? Because obviously the devout believers in this religion aren't buttering up the deities literally or they are literally doing it but they're not doing it metaphorically the way we mean it maybe they're trying to curry favor but they're not saying oh you're oh what a great god you are oh you're so powerful what a powerful god you are you're so impressive but that is maybe the the way an outsider perceived it to be and so the expression comes from a slight misinterpretation of what's going on in the scene because i know in, just in terms of Indian culture, the term juggernaut comes from the Hindu deity Jagannatha, who during parades, adherents would throw things in front of Jagannatha as uh, he proceeded through the parade route. And Westerners, the British watching this, would think of this as a as he was crushing them all. But that wasn't what they were intending. I don't think the the yeah, adherents to the religion were doing, but that was the perception of it from outsiders. So we got the term juggernaut from that, uh, which has nothing to do with Jagannatha, really. But that's the outsider's understanding of what the scene was. And so I'd be interested to know if, if buttered them up. Do you have any insight on that? Or is that beyond the, the scope of this podcast right now? 
Well, I, you know, I can't answer that. I think there's scholars standing by to do all this kind of thing. I just know that the expression wrapped up like a douche in the middle of the <laughs> night, you know, that, that, got, that got misinterpreted. And there, there are all sorts of uh, teenagers doing really weird stuff after that song. <laughs> That's got to be one where people definitely are like, what is that? That's, <laughs> That's worse than balls to the wall and, you know, the huckleberry. I don't understand any of this, but, but wrapped up like a douche. Yeah. Uh, so it's like the part is like though they're in the middle of the night i mean that's the part yeah that just makes it like, sure hmm. oh you don't do that in the daytime you don't wrap up a douche in the broad daylight what are you crazy uh but i like your idea earlier about the concept of having scholars standing by we get like three banks of phones like they do in the telethons you know people sitting in phones they got the tweed jackets with the patches on the elbows and beards and their nerdy glasses and they're just standing by at the phone to answer your questions your obscure uh, arcane questions about these expression origins and etymology i you know that's what we need when this when this show really takes off that'll be when we know we've made it <laughs> all right well that sounds good to me and until then uh, <laughs> that'll be the dream so we have the dream all right well obviously we've gone much much too long so we're gonna have to wrap it up but i do appreciate your, your sharing these with me i hope you learned something i know i did and uh, I'll, I'll have to review what i learned because i it's not occurring to me right now but there was a lot of learning that went on and as there always is on this this show i think right well, yeah, and I want to just go back to something that you said earlier in the show, and then you said, uh, well, I, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be able to impress you on this one. And I just want to assure you that don't worry about that. Um, you never have. I uh -huh. don't believe you ever will. Okay. Let's just take that pressure off your shoulders. Oh, that is so thoughtful of you to be so insulting of me. It's touching and hurtful. And I like that. That's really, it's, I appreciate that. You're always either balls to the wall or you're buttering me up. I don't know what it is, but we should probably bury the hatchet at some point in time. Um, but for, for now, I want to thank you, the audience, for listening to the Words Between Friends podcast. If you found the show tolerable, you're practically guaranteed to be able to sit through the other podcasts that Kurt and I do, not for nothing and quality control purposes, available wherever you enjoy quality podcasts. But for this episode, it is time to leave you with our parting words, by which I specifically mean our promise that next time we will do better. Hey, thanks for listening. But before you go, if you enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. Or if you didn't enjoy it, well, give us five stars and a glowing review anyway. Why should you be the only one who suffers? And also be sure to check out the other podcasts Kurt and I do, Quality Control Purposes, where we critique professional advice columnists' responses to letter writers, and the Not For Nothing podcast, which is less structured, more contentious, and often quickly devolves into bickering over long-held grievances between the two hosts.